Welcome back to Insights and Indicators. We at Carlisle want to provide you with timely and straight-to-the-point takeaways from economic data. The U.S. Department of Labor announced on April 12, 2022, the time of this recording, that inflation climbed 8.5% from a year ago on an adjusted basis. I'm your host, Jonathan Blank, and I'm here with our head of global research, Jason Thomas, to discuss what you should take away from this report. So Jason, against this backdrop, thank you for sitting down with us to provide concise and timely insights on the implications of inflationary trends and an outlook for the Federal Reserve meeting that's coming up in early May. Well, thanks for having me again. Let's start with this report from the U.S. Department of Labor today that showed that the consumer price index jumped 8.5%, as I'd mentioned, from a year ago. This data reflects price increases not seen in the U.S. since the stagflation days of the late 1970s and early 80s. What's your bottom line takeaway from this report? Well, you know, in many ways, it was not as bad as some people anticipated. When we looked at the portfolio data, and we looked forward to March, just anticipating the run-up in commodity prices because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the associated sanctions, it seemed like it was reasonable that headline inflation might rise to a year-over-year increase of 9%. So in some sense, 8.5% is not so bad. Uh, and, and that's really reflected in the report itself, because you had the cost of fuel, energy, up 11%. You had uh, food prices, of course, Russia and Ukraine are the, the largest exporters of wheat. Also, very important suppliers globally of fertilizer. So th- there was about a 1% month over month, which would, of course, is a just over 12% annualized increase in food prices. So when you add all that up, there was actually some risk that this report was going to be 9%, perhaps even more than 9% in, in terms of the year-over-year increase in, in headline consumer prices. So I think that in some ways, people had a, a sigh of relief that it was only 8.5%. And, and I think also the fact that it was only 8.5% suggested that there were some categories, notably used cars, uh, other uh, durable goods, where prices actually declined in March relative to February. And that also suggests that perhaps this is going to be the peak, that from this point forward, we should expect uh, somewhat lower year-over-year increases in, in consumer prices. So, so for all those reasons, I'm 8.5, boy, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would have expected to ever see 8.5% year-over-year increase in prices two or three years ago. But given that context, it actually w- was a report that I think a lot of people thought you know, what wasn't so bad. So some people are, uh, are have a, a sigh of relief, as you said. Let's turn, though, to the perspective of the Fed. There seems to be a hawkish shift in the rhetoric from the Fed. Why is that important? Well, I, I think it's important to note at the outset that the Fed does not raise interest rates as an end in and of itself. The Fed is raising interest rates with the idea and the goal of influencing financial conditions. Talk to any Fed staffer, talk to any member of the Board of Governors, and, and they immediately start talking about financial conditions. So the way the Fed thinks monetary policy works is that you raise the overnight interest rate, and then that starts to increase mortgage interest rates for households. 
starts to increase the rate at which corporations are able to borrow, starts to have downward pressure on valuations. And what I think we've seen is that the hawkish rhetorical shift of the Fed, the 25 basis point increase in Fed funds in March, was actually absorbed by the market relatively easily. And so as a result, to adjust financial conditions to the extent that they need to bring inflation under control, the Fed actually has to be more aggressive. So because it was so easy for the market to absorb this this 25 basis point increase in March, the Fed now has uh, the the freedom to, to increase rates by 50 basis points in May. In addition, the Fed is going to announce a $95 billion per month quantitative tightening which is essentially the, the allowing the balance sheet to decline as maturing securities effectively run off. So we'll, we'll see you know, how, how things play out. But because of this targeting financial conditions, if the market is able to absorb the May 50 basis point increase and the quantitative tightening that will be announced, the same way the market absorbed the 25 basis point increase in March, well, then they're actually, the Fed is set up for another 50 basis point increase in rates in June. So this is really a, a dynamic, iterative process where the Fed is really trying to do as much as it can without really leading to a abrupt and, and unwanted adjustment in financial market conditions, or of course, precipitating a recession. But that is the goal here today, to really get rates up as high as possible without causing anything that is... Um, you know, really discontinuous, I guess you could say. Jason, you just referenced the goals for the Fed. Um, And you've been saying for weeks now that you expect the Fed to raise rates in May by 50 basis points. So with these goals in mind and with the actions that you expect the Fed to take in May and what you just outlined for potentially June, how do you think that the Fed's tightening uh, will affect real world economic activity? Well, you know, I, I think it's important at the outset to, to wonder what sort of economic activity occurs when overnight rates are 30 basis points that won't occur when overnight interest rates are 1%, right? That, so it's, it's really probably not that consequential to real economic activity. And also, I think it's important to note that a lot of the really interest sensitive sectors like housing, like fixed investment in, in, you know, across the economy are in areas where there's, there's actually evidence of really significant underinvestment over the past several years. So, yes, you know, mortgage rates now 5% on average, in excess of 5% on average in the United States, that's going to cool housing prices for sure. There, there is going to be a slowdown in housing prices. Maybe in some markets, housing prices might actually decline outright. But when you think about where we are on an economy-wide basis, we've probably constructed two to four million fewer homes than is actually necessary to meet demand today. So when people talk about issues like affordability, the only way to solve housing affordability issues is actually to construct more housing stock. And so that's an area where I think there's going to be continued investment which is going to support the broader economy, support economic activity, even as there's higher rates and, and actually less or slower price appreciation. 
I think also when you think about logistics, warehouses, you know, these broader areas of the economy where, where we've seen because of supply chain troubles that there's been some underinvestment over the years. It, it's also an area that traditionally we think of that as very sensitive to interest rates. But in the current circumstance, there's probably going to be quite a lot of investment, even if interest rates uh, move up marginally from current levels. So I'm really not so worried about what impact you know, going from 30 basis point overnight rates to 1% overnight rates is going to have on, on real economic activity. I do think that there's going to be some significant adjustments in, in financial markets. Again, part of that is by design, because again, the, as I mentioned, the, the desire to exert some influence on financial conditions, but part of it you know, may just lead to, to a much higher degree of volatility. And, and uh, I, I think that that's something that investors should keep in mind. But, but that's, that's much less related to the real economy and, and more related to asset prices, valuations, and, and again, the, the way that stocks are trading. Well, Jason, I just want to, on behalf of all the investors and others who are listening, um, just want to thank you for so quickly jumping on this episode of Insights and Indicators to talk with us and break down so quickly the Consumer Price Index report from the Department of Labor and give your outlook for what the Fed's action will be in May and um, how we should all think about it in, in terms of the connection with economic activity. Great. Well, thanks again. And thank you for listening. We hope today's episode of Insights and Indicators put inflation data in perspective and highlighted how central banks may approach this issue over the next few months. Stay tuned for more from Jason next month.